Welcome back to the Adventure Geeks podcast for our back-to-back episode. We're doing, uh, this is our second episode of the night. If you want to see the first episode, that is our Moon Knight episode, which will be released at the same time as this one. Yes, you get two episodes. Two for one. And the reason why we wanted to keep this separate was because we wanted to keep the Moon Knight one separate so that those of you who want to know more about the character can learn about him. So if you want to learn about... Moon Knight, go back to the other episode. We got the whole lowdown from the comics to the first episode of the TV show. This episode, however, is probably going to be considered like one of our normal episodes. So me, yeah. Yeah. Ray, and of course our special guest, Chris, after yeah. episode two, um, we're going to be talking about some comics, and then our main topic today is going to be Morbius. We just got back from watching it a little while ago we're going to give you guys our overall thoughts of morbius and kind of where the sony spider-man universe is going and what we think about it so far so um ray yeah. why don't why don't we have you kick it kick us off um we'll start with morbius and then if you guys want to skip ahead to the comics we're going to do the comics at the end i think this yeah time. so i'll just give some background on morbius the character before we go into the movie beautiful um, so that way I can not think about the movie. Uh, he first debuted in Amazing Spider-Man 101, um, which is kind of important because it was followed the February 1971 uh, uplifting of the <clears throat> comic book industry's comic codes authority that lifted a ban on vampires and other certain supernatural characters. So you could almost say he was the first uh, supernatural character that showed up in comics overall because um when that band lifted they were able to use like a bunch of different supernatural characters because hmm. according to the comic codes authority like they were deemed like i don't know not, not like too scary but like you know too graphic yeah almost too, maybe too like something in that direction adult oriented. yeah yeah um, okay. and it was the first issue of marvel comics that was written by someone other than stan lee <clears throat> who was Morbius was written by Roy Thomas. Um, so, fun facts: they were talking about doing a, like a Dra- Dracula character, but Stan wanted a costume villain. Um, so, Roy Thomas said that the name Morbius, which was kind of taken from the Doctor Morbius in the movie Forbidden Planet, starring Leslie Nielsen. Uh, excuse me. Gil Kane helped create the character. Um, so, it's kind of like he's a tragic and sympathetic antagonist in this two-story arc he acquired his pseudo vampire addiction while searching for a cure for his own blood disease um then he went to star in his own series called vampire tales which was actually just a black and white horror comics that was published by marvel's sister company curtis magazines and then you know he kind of kept coming more and more into the fray you know you kept getting more demand for um I guess, like, supernatural in the comics. Uh, so his first um, series was Morbius the Living Vampire, 
which was launched as part of the Rise of the Midnight Suns crossover story arc, which was all about Marvel's supernatural horror comics. Who's my boy, Ghost Rider. Yep, it ran for 32 issues. Uh, and so the original Midnight Suns kind of consisted of Hellstrom, Jennifer Kale, Morbius, Werewolf by Night, Doctor Strange, and Danny Ketch and Johnny Blaze, who were part of the Ghost Riders. Um, so after that... Uh, he kind of like dabbled him in and out of the Marvel Universe. Uh, he had a big, um, I guess, debut in the Maximum Carnage series, which he teamed up with Spider-Man to help free New York City from Carnage. Yeah. Uh, and then he would also help team up with Spider-Man to stop a Hydra agent. Um, it also had him team up with Blade and Doctor Strange throughout the series, too. Um, other than that, you know, it's kind of been... He hasn't really been in too much yeah, else. He's here and there. Yeah, he's he's here and there. Um, I know, like the whole, I guess vampire family was a big part of the um, Spider Verse. Was it Spider Verse? Oh, yes. More yeah. Yeah. Island. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was trying to like decipher it from Spider Verse and Spider Geddon and Spider yeah. Island. But yeah, I think you're right. Spider Verse with the the time traveling vampire family. Yep. Um. I mean, other than that, that's not a bad deal. <laughs> yeah, he's he's had a, a few like you know, he obviously feuds with Blade, um, has a good friendship with the um, Jack Russell, who's the werewolf by night. Um, you know, teams up with Man Thing off and on, and Ghost Rider. So, you know, he's there. Yeah, I, I've got to say, other than the times he's popped up in Spider-Man, I haven't really read anything by him. Yeah, same here. I, I haven't really delved into the whole Morbius thing. Um, overall? <laughs> yeah, so overall, I guess let's... Let's just jump right into talk, it. Let's just rip the Band-Aid off. Uh, you want me to start? Yeah, you start. I can't talk about it. I mean, overall, I think the bones are there. There's just no flesh. I think Jared Leto does great as Morbius. Um, and I think, what's his name? Your boy. Matt Smith. Matt Smith plays a very good um, opposition to Morbius. Yeah, Milo. Milo, yes. Um, I think the over, like the overall plot and writing was not very good. Um, there was definitely a lot of potential where it could go. I liked the backstory behind Michael Morbius. I just think that the movie itself needed fixing with the pacing and could have used probably a half hour more of, of screen time or runtime rather. That's my overall thought. I thought the acting was good. The, the writing needed work and the movie needed to be longer. In the dialogue, I cringed at some parts. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot of parts where I was kind of like, Ugh. special effects were good though. That's yeah, that's one thing yeah, I will yeah, say. Yeah, and I know a lot good. of people have been griping on Sony about the special effects from Venom, but I honestly think the special effects with Morbius's powers and the a little bit with the fight scenes was actually really good. I particularly like the um, the uh, what do you call it. Uh, Echo location. Yeah, the echo and location. the way that they showed how he was hearing, basically. Yeah, like his 
and the ears kind of turned yeah, into like little the bat, little yeah yeah little bat yeah. noses, and then he could see actually mm-hmm. you, he could hear the what you know and feel the different drafts and yeah I found that to be actually how he flew cool. was really cool. It almost kind of reminded me of like in the 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 first Daredevil movie how Daredevil was seeing. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely reminiscence of that. I do I do like Morbius's background as a doctor trying to figure out the cure to his blood disorder. Yeah. However, they didn't spend enough time explaining the disorder, nor did they spend enough time with his re- his friendship with Milo and his relationship with the other doctor. I don't even remember her name. That's how uh, forgettable uh, she was to me. Yeah, I don't remember her name. <laughs> doctor something. Doctor B. So it's funny. So... Reading about like how Jared Leto was cast for him, he was drawn to the character's struggle with his disease and the moral implications of a hero who has a thirst for blood. It says that he found the roles challenging because it was less character-driven than his prior performances and closer to his real-life personality, which I guess isn't how he normally acts. But <laughs> Okay, interesting. Um, and on the opposite side, Matt Smith, who says that... Um, He had turned down other superhero film roles, but he, he joined due to Daniel Espinosa's involvement and encouragement from his Doctor Who castmate, Karen Gillan, who plays Nebula. Um, I think Matt Smith did a fantastic job, mm-hmm. um, but I always like him, whatever he's yeah. in, except for those crappy Terminator movies, because yeah. nothing was good after Terminator 2. Yeah, like I said, I, don't think, yeah, <laughs> I, I honestly don't think the acting was the problem. Yeah. I think the acting was stellar. Um, a lot of people are going to jump down my throat about Jared Leto, but I think he did fine. No. I think he did really yeah, well with that character. I think he did good, too. Yeah. He was able to hold the role. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I just... The movie. I, I feel like you, Eric, I feel like I was rushed through it. Rushed through the movie. It definitely... The story was just yeah. too rushed. Um, it, it felt rushed like... I mean... Like the Venom movie felt rushed. Yeah, it felt like you know? it, it. It feels like Sony. The way they're doing their movies now is a ninety-minute cash grab with a rapid pace, in a quote-unquote cool-looking character. That's mm. what I'm getting as far as the vibe goes for Sony's Spider-Man villain films. Yeah. Um, I will say I don't think we really needed a Spider-Man in this movie to make a more a successful Morbius. Yeah. Movie. If I don't you had gone without even like name dropping him, yeah, I would have been fine. I would have been fine, yeah. And um, if we didn't get the force stuff at the I, end, I will say a weird thing was that um, that weird FBI agent Stroud, yeah, uh, that he was so accepting. Yeah, so it's weird. So it says that he has a high tech weapons grade arm in the film, and Tyrese Gibson described him as a superhero. But you never see. Wait, Stroud? Yeah. Really? It says that he's supposed to have like some kind of bionic arm, but you never see that. Yeah. No. No. I like think it's I, just all you hear is him mention like what like what he was in Afghanistan or something. Yeah, like, and, and your, his, your his, artificial, his artificial blood, blood helped save save my life. Yeah. But like the fact my that Tyrese Gibson is saying like, oh yeah, he has a high tech arm. Okay, where's the high tech arm? Right, you're just gonna leave. And him you're not the gonna describe movie. the scratch marks across your throat either. Like that was kind of weird too. Right. Um, got, I don't know. We but... got freaking Jacks in a in a Spider Man movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's go with that. For those of you who are Mortal Kombat, um, fans. I'll tell you what. It definitely did not do good 
in the, in box, the box office. office. No, I didn't think. Yeah. Um, just looking at like the reviews, they get like B grades. Rotten Tomatoes, which I never go off anyways. Right. Give it like a 16%. So. I, I know the audience score was a little <laughs> bit higher, though. Yeah. Um, my, I guess more so than the pacing, the issue I had with it was, and this is with a lot of horror-type genre stuff, is the balance between horror and action. At times it tried to be a horror movie, at times it was trying to be an action movie where in my opinion you should pick one or the other. Mm. I don't like when horror and action kind of coexist with one another. It takes yeah, it away from one each or the other. other. I definitely agree with that. I think it would have been more beneficial for it to be just a strict horror movie. Just like a strict vampire movie. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um I, I I think like it's funny they were talking about like the future of it and everything and you know, Jared Leto wants to appear with Blade, but then, like, he wants to appear with... Tom Holland wants him to appear with Spider-Man. Like, it's just like they're trying to figure out what to do with this character, and they don't know. <laughs> like... And to be honest with you, I don't really know what you do with this character either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like it's a very weird... It's almost like... Right? Because we saw it on April 1st, April Fool's. Yeah. It's almost like they were like, hey guys, here's a character we don't know what to do with April Fool's. Yeah. You guys figured right? it out. Yeah, yeah, that was an unwise choice of her. And it's like, you can't just, you can't figure out what they're doing with them. Like, even, right. even. I mean, it left an opening at the end, too, but. It was just such a weird opening. Like, it's like, yeah. but what did it mean? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like. And I really don't like this whole. Okay, I'm gonna have a good guy, and then the bad guy's gonna be just the opposite of me, but with the same powers. Mm-hmm. I am so sick of that. What is it called? That trend. Yeah. We are so beyond that at this point with us being like 20 freaking years into this superhero genre. It needs to stop when we need to have a higher expectation of. And work. that's that's what happens. Like yeah. like we were talking about earlier with the MCU movies, like. Iron Man 1, oh, I'm going to face off against Ironmonger, you know, Thor, I'm facing off against Loki, <laughs> like, Black Panther, Killmonger, yeah, Black Panther, Killmonger, Captain America was perfectly fine, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you know, you get that trope going on, like, at least, like, change it up, like, yeah. you know, but, I mean, I understand Sony doesn't have many people to play with, but, like, but you know what? But like Venom did do. the same thing. Venom was like, "Hey, we're gonna fight this symbiote." And then but Venom that's... Two was like, "Hey, we're gonna fight this other symbiote." Yeah. <laughs> that's where Sony can go into something different, though, because you have really good characters you can use, and they have a lot of dark I, I characters they can Sony use. Has. If they just leaned more into the adult aspect of these characters and stopped trying to half-ass copy the MCU movies, they'd be fine. Mm. So, like, it's funny, like, I literally just looked it up. Who does Sony have the rights to? They have the rights to any Spider-Man and Spider-Man-related character. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so yeah. you can use anyone within that whole yeah, Spider-Man, exactly. like, That's Spider-verse. a pretty big uh, universe. That's a pretty big toy box Spider-verse that you could uh, Yeah, that's a huge toy want, box you can play with. If you want my opinion, and Ian, I hope you're listening because this is the only time I'm going to compliment DC. They should literally be doing... Sony should be doing what DC is doing with their standalone movies. Because their Joker movie was fantastic. 
their Batman movie, even though they're going to have it a sequel, was a fantastic movie. If you stop focusing on having this connected universe and focus on the character-driven story, you wouldn't have these problems. Mm. Yeah. But Sony right now is so busy trying to come up with their Spider-Man extended universe that their plot lines are just falling flat. They're just trying to hold on to that like Spider-Man franchise, but like you gotta, you know, accept the fact that you guys just gotta let go. Yeah, exactly. Just and let like, it go. Give you, up, give up the Spider-Man, and you know. I'm gonna battle the naysayers. You could have a Venom movie without Spider-Man. It works, and even more so with Morbius. You don't really need a Spider-Man. Just focus on the character mm. and, and stop focusing on trying to connect it with a, a larger universe so yeah, you can have your eventual it, Sinister Six Especially when movie. they're like, oh yeah, let's have Sinister Six, but you know. It's already been done with No Way Home, and I personally don't think you could do it any better than what they did in No Way Home with that. Even though it wasn't really technically a Sinister Six, but yeah, I think you got pretty damn near perfect to one of them. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree with that. Um, somebody just needs to figure out what they're doing. Yeah, the, I mean the fight scenes were good. Yeah, like I think the like, action scenes. Although again, I know we're arguing, and not we're discussing whether or not it should have been horror or yeah. Action I, I, I liked the fact that like when he was flying, it looked really cool. Yes, and when he was running really fast, it looked really cool. Yeah. like it looked better than like the, yeah the way they the portrayed the his power yeah. was really it good. Better than. You know, than Ezra Miller running mm-hmm. in the Flash or well, in yeah. Justice League, like that looked better. And the way they portray his powers, even going to the Sony verse of it all, is a lot better portrayed in this movie than Venom's powers were in Venom. Yeah, like you could distinctly see the different superpowers that Morbius had mm. by visual effects yeah. and the way Jared Leto presented them. In the way they were introduced, too. Yeah, and the way they were introduced. The only, like I said, like we all agree, it's the pacing, and you need to let the story breathe a little because the bones are there. It's just you rushed through it. You jumped from scene to scene. There's no character development with almost any of the characters, and the way you finished the movie was ass. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I, uh... That final scene and what they ended up with at the end with all the characters was just stupid. So I think, yeah. He just doesn't want to talk about it. I, I'm, I don't know. I, now I'm looking at all these Easter eggs that people found, and I'm like, these are all so stupid. I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> But, you know, for the sake of everything, we're going to anyways. I don't, I mean, like like you said, Matt Smith was good, and the villain was yeah. good. I just wish they made I think them. Matt Smith did a good job. Yes, and but I think now he's dead, so he can't do anything. Right, exactly. They killed him off, and I, when what I, uh, my opinion was kind of a stupid way with the group stupid. of bats. The fact that he can control bats is really weird. It's like what your other friend was saying. He's a real Batman now. Yeah, uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I can control bats. Until you me. mentioned it yeah. earlier. <laughs> Yeah. Insects of the world will be scared. Yeah. <laughs> I I will say I agree with what you said earlier. Like the way they portray the different vampires between Morbius and Matt Smith's character was cool how he was the, yeah. the gangster vampire yeah. and Morbius like, was the was, more. Yeah, because he was wearing like the pinstripe yeah. and everything. And he looked like, you know, I don't care. I'm a gangster. Like, screw these guys. I'm going to do whatever I want. And Morbius looked like Dracula. Yeah. I, I do like that. I even like the... Even what's-her-name said, 
oh, it's like Dracula. It's a love story. Yeah, romantic. romantic yeah. Which I almost threw my popcorn on the floor at that part. Yeah, the, the, the forced pop culture references was a little much, but I do like the motives behind. At least they didn't reference Twilight. Oh, God. I would have probably walked out. (laughs) I do like Morbius's motives, though. The whole, I'm battling this blood disease. I need to find a cure. Unfortunately, I I have to drink blood to survive, and that turns me animalistic. I I like that aspect. I think the fact that he had come up with uh, artificial blood, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Because I didn't see that coming. Exactly. But what was his mindset in the end when he changes his mind of his original plan? Do you get what you go? And, and that's and that's. I, I don't know how much I'm not trying to yeah, spoil too much. No, but no, no. I just like where did that go? That just yeah, like yeah, what was the point of bringing that in if it didn't wasn't a moral dilemma or yeah, something? Yeah, because it is it at is, the end. It is interesting with that time clock going down because remember. At first, he could go four hours without the artificial blood, or six hours like, without the yeah. four hours, then yeah, three was, hours, and then yeah. it eventually it was going to be towards the artificial blood not being able to yeah. satisfy him. Which... So now the fact that he can't use artificial blood, like, is he going to be a vampire now? Is he? He could just rob the What's American Red do? Cross blood banks. I mean, fair enough. <laughs> and he doesn't have enough. to kill anybody, to be honest with you. I had that thought multiple times in the movie. I'm like, yeah. oh, he could just he could just buy blood off of blood banks and go from there. Sounds like he's a pretty rich doctor. Yeah, yeah. Um, Plus, he was probably... Eh, I won't go into that. But Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I don't know where you go with this character at this point. Well, like, I agree with you. Like, if, if it was a standalone... You it's know, good as a standalone. It would it's be good as a standalone, or it would have been good as a building block, but maintaining in its own, in its own. You know, well, I don't know where right. in its own. Right. Right. Like, what if like his experiment had gone, or his serum had gone wrong and mutated somebody else into a different villain? Type exactly. Of that would have been cool to see. Yeah. But the the forced Spider Man connection and Spider Man villain connection kind of drove me nuts. Um, yeah, I don't know how many times that I can say it, but yeah. Yeah, it was. It's just not good. Of all the naysayers, it was not Jared Leto's fault. <laughs> it, it wasn't, and I agree. It totally wasn't Jared Leto's fault. Like I think he did a good job. Yeah. Um, but you know, you can only do as good as what you're given, right? Exactly. I think Sony just needs to figure their shit out. Um. Yeah, I think that's that's my final thought on it. And then we can go into the, the post-credit scenes, which is even more cringeworthy. Mm. Yeah. Or oh, I need explanation on one of them. So okay. once we get there, okay. I'll be asking um, for that. Well, I guess I'll do the Easter eggs okay. first. Because yeah. as much as I don't want to talk about them, we're going to do them anyways. You go and do that while I drink my beer. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, one of the first opening scenes um, where he's like, the the head doctor guy's like, oh, yeah, I know a, a school for gifted children, which I was like, oh, he's talking about the X-Men? And then he's like, no, you're, you're going to New York to, like, be a doctor or something. Yeah. I was like, that's so stupid. Um, the second one I thought was kind of cool um, was there a, a conversation between Nichols and Milo uh, where he says um, he recently crossed paths with a Russian gentleman. I didn't get that. that yeah. Um, which it could be that it could be Craven the Hunter. Uh, considering sorry. that Sony wants to do is doing a Craven the Hunter movie, so um, uh, I think I'm that'd afraid. be kind of cool. 
Um, Thanatic tradition. I'm not going to go into it because I bring it up on every single Spider-Man related episode. <laughs> um, one of the cool things uh, they talk about Horizon Labs, um, yeah, which is uh, kind of a big, a big part of the Spider-Man comics yep. in the last decade, because um, Peter Parker worked there yeah. during Dan Slott's run, um, and you know uh, it's run by one of Peter's personal heroes, um, and Morbius. Morbius actually works for them in the comics. He's the one who creates a serum that saves everyone in the whole Spider Island thing. Yep. Um, and then, you know, who also works for Horizon is Octavius. Yep. Oh, that was um, done beautifully in the yep. game. When he, uh, even when he transfers his consciousness into Peter's brain in issue 700. <clears throat> Spider Man. Uh, the ship that was referenced, uh, Murnau, um, is a reference to. Uh, the famed director um, F.W. Murnau, who helmed the first ever vampire movie, Nosferatu. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, I, didn't, I knew. I, yeah, yeah, cool. I, didn't, I didn't. I didn't realize that reference either. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's cool. cool. Um, of course, you know one of the huge references I caught was that thing in San Francisco, which is a reference to Venom. Venom. And also going along with that is the "I am Venom" line. Oh, that was so yeah. Cool. So forth. So you know that Venom's um, in the shared universe is Morbius. Uh, and then the, the so dumb one was when he's like, you won't like me when I'm hungry. And I was like, oh, oh, the Hulk. The Hulk yeah, reference. I almost spilled my soda at that one. I was like, yeah, I heard a, an audible uh, yeah. from, from Ray during the movie. Um, another one uh, that's kind of like Spider-Man related. Um, the Daily Bugle shows up throughout the film. Which I'm sure you guys saw, uh, but I guess it holds like a bunch of Easter eggs on their front pages. One of them is about the rhino getting loose in a zoo hoax, which, you know, it doesn't actually confirm that Alexi's in the Sony universe, but um, you, know, you never know. It could be rhino showing up again. Ooh, um, that'd be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that would have been cool. Apparently, the rhino was supposed to show up in The Amazing Spider Man 3 again after that end scene in yep. The Amazing Spider Man 2. Um, another reference on the Deep Daily Bugle's front page, Black Cat, Friend or Foe, which we were talking about in the car ride back. Mm -hmm. um, we thought it would be pretty cool if she showed up again. Um, I guess she did appear in Spider-Man 2, which I don't remember. She was. Don't it says she's played by Felicity Jones in a minor role. She shows up as one of the assistants working at Oscorp before Harry notices her and hires her as his personal assistant. Hmm. Uh, but that was also before they scrapped the third film. All right, so another crazy uh, Daily Bugle headline is Chameleon's Great Escape, which suggests that Dmitry Smirikov has already had a brush with the authorities and has managed to escape prison. For those of you who don't know, the Chameleon is another big villain of Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> he actually shows up. Uh, as one of Nick Fury's associates uh, in the MCU, but he doesn't do anything compared to his comic book origins. Um, I bet you he fit, he'll fit in well with the Skrull storyline when they get to it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for a Secret Invasion. I think it's going to be cool. I definitely think uh, your girl's going to be playing the Skull Queen, Skrull Queen, though. Khaleesi. Well, yeah. Amelia Clark. There you go. The actresses. Um... Another one was that they referenced that he goes full Dracula. <coughs> he just 
shows his fangs and yeah dracula um the unforgettable uh woman becomes a vampire i Bancroft. Yep, she's, Dr. She's, Bancroft. She's a vampire. I'm just trying. To <laughs> I'm just trying to give the poor girl a name. She's a vampire now, so yay. So we have a vampire um, family. Other than that, that's pretty much all the references that it are listed would, online. It would be kind of cool if they took the this whole vampire family thing and did a, a spider island or spider verse type of deal, but um, I'm not and you know, that. now we're gonna have to talk about the end credit scenes, uh, which hopefully it won't spoil too much for. It's okay. Well, let, let's at first. Okay, we'll we'll briefly talk about it, and then you can ask your question. Okay, fair enough. Okay. So the first one was basically Adrian Toomes. That the first one showed the in the sky. Oh yeah, yeah, the mark in the sky from No Way Home, where the multiverse split open, and and villains were leaking into the universe. Yep. And as a result of that, Adrian Toomes pops up in a jail cell in the Morbius Venom universe and basically gets released from prison because he magically shows up in a prison cell without being charged with anything, so they let him out. That's the first credit scene. <sighs> so dumb. <laughs> Is that the one you had questions about? No. Okay. I have questions about the last one. The last one, they should have just made this one fucking long. It would have made more sense. The second one was basically Morbius is sitting in the desert in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden there's a, a figure moving across the desert towards him. Turns out to be Adrian Toomes, a.k.a. the Vulture, in his full uh, Spider-Man Homecoming Vulture outfit. Now I get it. Thank you. Where his equipment came from. The real question is, where did he get the outfit from? When it's a different universe, who knows? Because last we saw, he made his outfit from salvaged alien parts from his original universe. And the Sonyverse has no aliens. And basically, Morbius (sighs) and Adrian Toomes are teaming up. That's basically the lines that they said to one another. They said, this must, or Toom says, this must be Spider-Man's fault. And Morbius just like, okay, let's get him. Even though nothing that has happened to Morbius was because of Spider-Man. It's so dumb. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> First yeah. it was Venom. Unless I Morbius haven't... is trying to be a good guy, but like, how does he know Toom's anyways? No idea. Like, like, even, how did they get a hold of each other? Where, yeah, where did that come even from? Even in the trailer, you see them walking by each other, and he's like, what's up, Morbius? Like, what's up, Michael Morbius? Like, in the trailer, they do it. But you don't have it in the movie? It makes no sense. It's just so dumb. And even even the voice of the vulture in costume in that end credit scene was weird. I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I don't know. Wasn't a fan. I'm, I'm not on board. Did, did we answer your question? Basically, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so now we have Venom, Vulture, and Morbius in the same universe. Well, and Carnage, because I, I I would really hope that Carnage is actually. So we have there. Venom, Carnage, Morbius, Vulture, Shriek, quote unquote, uh, Rhino, Chameleon. 
by cat. Well, now we're getting a Madam Web and a Craven the Hunter movie. I don't even want to talk about a Madam Web movie. It's just so dumb. <laughs> and yet, we are so far away from Spider-Man Homecoming, and there's no word of Scorpion. He's just hanging out after that post-credit scene in Homecoming. What the fuck? I don't know. <laughs> Sony just needs to let go of the Spider-Man and give give to Marvel. I would agree. Well, I don't think it's as bad as what the the critic reviews are. It's certainly not good. I mean, realistically, if I had to give it a grade, I'd give it like maybe a six. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Like, but that's also what I give Venom Incarnate, Venom, the Venom standalone, and the Venom versus Carnage. Hmm. Venom versus Carnage, I might give a seven just because I really like the action between them. It was really. I cool. might, I might rate Venom slightly above Morbius. Really? Why? The first Venom, right? Yeah, the first Venom. I liked the first Venom over yeah. Morbius. Really? Slightly. Yeah. Why? Because I love Tom Hardy and Venom together. Oh, God. <laughs> Fair enough reason. I love, I love, I'm still I love, giving him a six. I'm biased towards Tom Hardy, though. I like everything that he's in. Did you watch that FX show he did? Taboo? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you like it? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I it was really weird. It's weird, but it was good. But he's just—he's such a weird actor, though. Yeah, there's a lot of incest in it, though. Yeah, well, that so wasn't Game of Thrones. Mm, yeah, and true. you know where Game of Thrones ended up. Ha-ha! <laughs> yeah, to to having a Starbucks coffee cup on their set. <laughs> yep, I remember that debacle. Oh God. Um, yeah, I'd give it a six. I don't know. Where I think we're going with this is not where I want to think about, to be honest. Yeah. Wait for it to come out. Stream it. Don't yeah. go to the theaters. Yeah, I agree. A hundred percent agree. Or if you go see it, go see it on a uh, five dollar movie day. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. If that's still a thing, is that still a thing? I don't know. Maybe yeah. six. Yeah, maybe. I $6. think I only paid about five or six dollars per ticket for us. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean that works then. Yeah. Yeah. Go see it then. Um, I think they're they're trying to do a Sinister Six movie, and I don't like it. Yeah, I don't like the fact that they're trying to do that. If they were to do standoff solo movies of character studies for these villains, that'd be fine, but they're just trying too hard at this point. All right, when we come back, we are doing some comic book talk. So now we're going to go into our comic series of the week. Normally we do like one each, but we decided we were going to really focus on one current run right now, and that is Dark Knights of Steel by Tom Taylor and... Yasmin Putri. Thank you. Um, in a nutshell, it's... I, I don't like making this comparison, but it, it's inevitable. It's DC Superheroes meets Game of Thrones. Yep, I said DC Superheroes and Game of Thrones, and it actually works extremely well. Yeah, we're talking about a DC book without ian yeah no it feels a little wrong i'm okay with it <laughs> i don't have a problem with it especially with superman being in the center uh anywho like i said i don't have a problem with it <laughs> um i like a lot about this we're only going to be talking about the first five issues because at this point that's all that's been released it is a limited series that is going to be 12 episodes and again we're not even halfway through and we we just had to talk about it yeah it's it's one of the ones that, like, so, like, for those of you who probably don't, I mean, if you don't follow me on, like, Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, 
I stack my comics, so like whenever I go through and read them, like co- a couple weeks at a time, I'll take pictures of like the covers and I'll send them to Eric, and I'll be like, "Oh my god, are you reading this?" And then he'll usually be like, "No," and then I'll be like, "Well, you should." <laughs> and my but, wallet gets thinner and thinner. <laughs> but Dark Knights of Steel is one of the ones that we've been kind of communicating back and forth about for a while, especially since the first issue was announced. Yeah, it's definitely been a standout series that. I mean, it's it's out of left field to be honest with you. I didn't it's expect one of it. those. It's one of those awesome Tom Taylor ideas. Like I, I didn't think I would like deceased as much as I did, and I, I like DC so much. I have all the issues for all the series. I have all the hardcovers for all the series, even the digital ones that were came out, and like just he he's got these great ideas and he just runs with them. Yeah. Um. Like so, just I'm gonna give some background about Tom Taylor real quick. Um, he's an Australian comic book writer, uh, and his works include a lot of DC and Marvel, surprisingly. So, for those of you who don't know, uh, he's written the Superman Son of Kal El, which has been pretty, pretty groundbreaking. And the fact that um, Jonathan Kent came out as bisexual, or I, I can't remember, is he gay or bisexual? I believe he's bisexual. Okay, so Jonathan Kent came out as gay and bisexual in the Superman Son of Kal-El comics, which I, I think that series is really good, and I really want to talk about it, so maybe Ian will do it with me. Um, he's been writing Batman the Detective, which is just a six-issue miniseries, which focuses on uh, Batman kind of like seeing his old mentor – and how he deals with the fact that, you know, the, with the destruction that Batman leaves in his wake. Uh, he's, and I never thought I'd be saying this, I, I'm really enjoying his Nightwing run. I haven't stopped enjoying it. I think it's just really good. Um, he did the three-issue miniseries about Hellblazer, Rise and Fall, with Derek Robinson. Uh, he's done Deceased. He's done the Injustice series, um, which we're going to plan on doing an episode about. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that's kind of like a touch upon his, uh, DC works he's done. Uh, he did a really good Suicide Squad run, which, um, I read the first issue and I kind of dropped it because I was reading too much at the time. Um, but even on the Marvel side, uh, he's been doing Marvel Dark Ages, which pretty much deals with this godlike character that comes up and basically steals all the power from the earth and giving them pushing them into the dark ages. Um, I do have this ordered, the all-new Wolverine Omnibus, which deals with X-23 taking place of Wolverine. Uh, <clears throat> he did the Star Wars Legends Boba Fett, which was fantastic. I, that was such a good series. Um, he's kind of dipped his toes in a lot of the Star Wars universe, where he's done <clears throat> a lot of the uh, sequels. Like He did ones for Rey, Kylo Ren, Poe, Hux, Finn, Snoke, and Rose. Um, he did a great run on X-Men Red, and I think that was also a really good one. And his his like one of his first Marvel ones he did was he did Superior Iron Man, which is heavily, heavily rumored to be in uh Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. But on his on his on the other side uh, he also did Seven Secrets, which is by Boom Studios, which I've heard nothing but good things about. I just haven't had the time to check it out. Um, 
So Tom King, that's just a little, Tom you know, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I got Tom King on the brain. I can't help it. Um, that's a little thing about um, Tom Taylor. Uh, the artist real quick, uh, Yasmin Putri. Um, they've done a lot of, uh, they did Dark Knights of Steel pretty much just for DC really, but um, really showcasing a lot of covers that they've done. Um, especially for like a lot of the Batman series, they've done a lot of B covers. So if you're ever looking for cool B covers, check out um, their Instagram. Uh, they've done a lot of Marvel series too. Uh, worked on uh, <clears throat> the Avengers No Road Home. Uh, totally awesome Hulk. You know, just a bunch of cool series. And one of the issues is actually done by um, Ben Gal, who's another artist. And uh, they they did a lot of work on the uh, – Batman Endgame, Joker Endgame, Adventures of Supergirl, Fear State, and they've done a lot of covers too. So that's just a little background on the artists and writers. Yeah, and, and going off of the Yasmin Putri, um, the covers for Dark Knights of Steel are actually really interesting. I, um, I have wanted to buy almost every variant cover that mm -hmm. uh, she's done. Even like the main covers, it I think it's really fascinating that it's almost like – each cover is like a stained glass window that would be in like, yeah, a, like medieval a medieval castle castle or something. Um, um, if it really fits the the line her, really well, her variant covers are really cool too. Because like, there's ones that she has where she, it almost like looks like it's like on parchment. Hmm. Like, there's a really cool Harley Quinn one I almost thought about getting, but I've just been getting the A covers for them. And I see you have too, so. Um. But yeah, and you know, it, and you know, as much as I want to admit it, like if you get a huge frame, these would be really cool to put all, all together in like a frame. Right. <clears throat> Toby, not that I want you to cut any out. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but why don't we get into it? So, Dark Knights of Steel, um, again, basically a medieval setting for the DC heroes, um, where you have the castle of jor-el yep um and batman is serving them um kind of the same basic principle of the superman origin story where um well it's it's a little different it's a, it's a little different to the fact that the his the, parents escaped krypton as yeah, well the spaceship that lands on this earth and it's in medieval times yep uh is jor-el and i always forget his was Laura? It's Laura, right? Yeah, Laura. Yeah. Joel yeah. and Laura land in a medieval earth and she's about to have her baby. Yeah. Which is and yeah. you know, they're they Cal -El. Yep. They go through and you know, they're accosted by a bunch of knights in armor. Yeah. And, you know, Jarrell says, Hey, stop, they're about she's about to have her baby and then he realizes I have powers. Because you yeah. see a big flash of red light. Yeah. And then even just flipping through, because so I'm not to brag, but you know, I have this issue one that has issue one through three in it. No ads. No ads. I and mean, it looks pretty good, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. But like flipping through it, like I'm at the part where uh they go to the um Kingdom of Storms. Okay, yeah. So like even flipping through it, like it's a huge different take on any DC character like um 
you see like this shot here where you know Constantine's on the ground talking about like a a prophecy. Yeah, he's more of a prophesizer in the yep. series that works for the <clears throat> Jeffer Jefferson Empire. What do yep. you say? Uh, Kingdom of Storms. Kingdom of Storms. Thank you. Yep. Um. Yeah. He... And then you you go to flash forward where it's 19 years later at the castle of L. Mm-hmm. Did you see like Kal-El flying through the air talking to Bruce? Did you know? It's kind of cool, like seeing this interaction, like even in medieval times, like Kal-El's like, you know, you rely on children for your information, and basically it's Bruce, and he has a bunch of robins. You yeah, know? and and I I do like, even though it's we've seen it before, the dynamic between Superman and Batman, while they're all like always at odds with one another yeah. there is like a really good twist there's like, in there's it. like a yeah it, up until the twist there's like a good mutual respect for each other yeah and because they've grown up together exactly they're they from from like almost from birth yeah um, and, and, and i gotta say the the art and the the lettering on it like this panel here where he's going to get black canary like the fact that you just see the the scree and he's holding his ears is just fantastic. And then you see him like, you know, she says, "What? What? How are you still alive?" And he's like, "I don't know." <laughs> yeah, and and I was actually gonna just bring up this. It's Batman's arc is really interesting in the fact that normally, like his Batman runs are him finding his humanity. Well, this run is him learning about his superhumanity mm -hmm. because it turns out that he is actually of Krypton blood. Which we'll get into that in which a couple issues. Is basically like the Jon Snow of the of the DC. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to put that. Yeah, he's the Jon Snow. And I like the fact that like you know each character is different. Like Harley Quinn in here is basically a jester. Yeah. <laughs> like basically a jester and like you know uh i like the fact that you know bruce knows that he's a bastard yep you know and you know him and him and clark go at it a, a lot in here and and i like how it's not like thomas and martha just dying it's literally thomas couldn't what's the word give a child so they had to rely on the Kryptonians to have a kid for Martha. And even even going to like the the panel with Green Lantern and uh, Green Arrow, because it almost throws back to their dynamic in like the regular universe, where mm -hmm. like you know they're friends and you know he's even Oliver's Oliver's like this makes me like unnerved. I don't want to do this. And then you get to the big reveal where you know Batman. Is a Kryptonian. <laughs> that and like the real Green Lantern in this is not so much a Green Lantern. He's the freaking Joker. Or I let me back up. It's Lex Luthor that turns yeah. crazy and gets the Green Lantern ring. That was a twist that I thought was really cool. And I really like so like a lot of people don't know a lot about like Black Lightning and his family. But I like the fact that in the Kingdom of Storms, it's pretty much like, you know, Jefferson with his daughters and sons, and they all have lightning powers. 
uh, which is kind of cool. And I like the fact that they keep Constantine around to like, you know, kind of advise and, you know, be the soothsayer for the, for the kingdom of the storms. Um, and I also like how, go, actually go ahead. No, you go. Cause I was going to bring up the Amazonians. That's but... just, that's just the part I got to. <laughs> Great minds think alike. Um, I yeah, like how, I how the Amazonians are kind of, I mean, they're, they're for the, Jefferson Estate or the Kingdom of Storms. Kingdom of Storms. Thank you. I was, I don't know how I forget that, but <laughs> um, I like how they're kind of on that side, and then because Wonder Woman's involved with Superman's cousin Zala, Zala, um, and Zala does something that kind of turns the tides of this quote-unquote war that we actually didn't even mention the start of. Yeah. Um. Their neutrality shifting was interesting, along with what Poison Ivy does as well later on yeah. in the series. Um, but the whole conflict gets started because um, Jor-El is assassinated by Green Arrow, yep. who was influenced by Green Lantern, who we know as Lex Luthor, a.k.a. the Joker. And it's a whole question of who hired him to kill the king. I think one of my favorite sequences in this book um i don't know what issue it is because i'm reading my one through three issue but it's the part when they're in the jail cell and you see bruce talking to kal-el about you know he's angry and stuff like that and the panels here where you see all the people that they've captured like you see a speedster running around yeah. You see Blue Devil. This is issue two. Yeah, you see like Angel in the background. You see King Shark. You see a crocodile. You see one of my favorite panels is when Detective Chimps like she's right and he's just like shut up monkey. <laughs> like, and that comes from basically the Kingdom of Jor El capturing people with, with powers. magical because, powers. Yeah, because... because they didn't know if they could harm them because they realized in this universe they they are hurt can get harmed by magic. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, flipping to the big cliffhanger where Zala Jarell goes to the Kingdom of Storms and, you know, kills the firstborn. Um, and then flipping to issue three, which is kind of cool because you see um, Jimmy Olsen, who you know, he's just a, he's just, person who writes news articles on parchment. <laughs> That's right. I forgot they included him. Which is kind of funny. And then, you know, there's a lot of parts here where, you know, it brings almost the the medieval times between everyone. Like, um, one of my favorite parts of this is when you have the Metal Men show up, which is one of my favorite DC groups. And it's just, they're not even metal men. They're just people in different armor. And I'm like, they're like, oh, yeah, the metal men. We know of you. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's so crazy. And they get slaughtered. Yep. And they're on Magnus lands, which is kind of cool because Dr. Magnus is the one who created the metal men in the regular DC continuity. And I just really like the fact that, you know, there's a lot of parts with the Amazons and the Kingdom of Storms in this issue. Uh and, you know, I got to say, like, I know we're talking about the story a lot, but Yasmin Putri's art is just 
fantastic in this mm-hmm. whole series. Like you can see, like it's vibrant. Yeah, it's, she captures the. It's of the medi- medieval times. Yep, she captures the 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 expressions of everyone, and you know, um, it gets to the part like even at the end of this last issue, um, when Kara's basically fighting, you know, the kingdom of storms, and. You know, uh, King Jefferson's like, this world can be beautiful. Don't let them take it. And then the big, bigger cliffhanger at the end is where they find kryptonite. And, you know, Bruce says to Alfred, he's like, I don't know what's happening to me. I, I feel like I'm sick. And that's when we find out that Batman or Bruce Wayne is, in fact, a Kryptonian. Yep. And it re- and it and it escalates between him and and Kal-El. and your boy Ian. Like it, <laughs> it doesn't even. And and the part is right. It doesn't even get to the fact that it, it escalates a lot. And this issue, issue number four, is illustrated by Bengal, which is another fantastic artist. But you know, um, it, it it doesn't even like beg the fact that you know. Uh, there's a lot of, I guess you could say like drama in this, right? Yeah, drama like in Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's. I like the. I just like the coloring too. The coloring. Yeah. Um, really pops. So like when when you Luther showed up, right, and they're all. This is every this like this issue four is basically like a flashback. Yeah, of, of how Batman is a freaking Kryptonian. Yep, and how like you know, it's basically Alfred telling Bruce, you know, what happened with everything. Like Martha, you know, you know, fell in love with Jarrell, and you know, Jarrell told her, and Thomas Wayne left, and you know. He couldn't father children, so now that they had a children, and basically like Game of Thrones, like they were just bastards. And you know, talking about how Bruce helped bring them all together. Um, and even like, uh, even like at the end when Alfred's ready to like, you know, he's saying, "Well, we have a plan." Like, you, you're the, you're the king, mm-hmm. you know. It's Jon Snow actually becoming him. It's where it looks like it's leaning. Yeah. Yeah. And then even, like, issue issue number five is just... I think it just gets even more better just building this world. Um, what I hope they do is... And I know there's a whole discrepancy with the Castle of El and the Storm Kingdom, whatever. Kingdom of Storms. There you go. Um, how the magical beings is part of the reason why they don't get along. But I really want to see what escalated this disagreement before the assassination of Jor-El. Yeah. And I, I really want to get to the bottom line of why they disagreed so much to begin with. Yeah, and I, I think they're going to go into that. Like, if you, like this is a 12-issue series. Yep. So we're not even halfway through. Five, yeah, we're not even halfway through. And as much as I, like... I don't know. I kind of roll my eyes a lot about the Harley and Poison Ivy thing, but I just so everyone knows, I'm I'm 
pro everything, so you're all good. I mean, but. I don't mind it. It's just like what importance is it in the story? Like, I just I like get... this because you know, Poison Ivy's like, I love you, and she's like, I'm always happy to visit, but I have to protect my world, and you have to protect yours. Right. Like she understands that there's a difference. Um, and then I like the fact that you know, uh, Wonder Woman comes through trying to find Zara. And she's like, I'm Diana. Like, you can't stop me, Poison Ivy. And she just goes through. Um, so I think a lot of the fact in this, uh, especially, like, towards the end of issue number five here, is, you know, Bruce finds out the truth, and he's supposed to, he's going to tell Clark. Mm-hmm. And then the huge, the, the huge, like, I was reading this issue, and I think this is when I texted you and I said, you need to read this. I was like, you got to read this issue. And the fact that, you know, hey, Ian, we all knew this was coming. Kal-El's a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> like Shocker, Ian. Shocker, Superman's a bad guy. And I think it almost brings the trope of, you know, how, right, top, uh, um, not Thomas, uh, Jonathan and Martha Kent found Kal-El. And, you know, it ends with Jonathan and Martha Kent finding Bruce Wayne. Yeah. And they're like, well, we need to help him. And it, it's just it's just such a fantastic series. Like, that was a, that was a twist. I didn't even mm-hmm. – I didn't even see that coming. Like, and I like – and I know technically – Kryptonians or aliens, but I kind of like how they've mostly used characters that were more Earth-based. Yeah. And it's more, I don't want to say grounded story, but grounded medieval story with superpowers. Yeah. I think if they were to include any, like, otherworldly being, it would kind of ruin the story. Like, I don't want to see a dark side pop up. No, like, I, I think right now what they're doing is good. Yeah, I think I hope they stay with this and maybe even branch out into another kingdom that we don't know about to add to the conflict. Well, I mean, they did talk about the land of Magus, so you know, there's one. I kind of wish, like, and you know, that's one of my favorite things about, especially reading fantasy books, is putting a map in. Yep. Ah, uh, yeah, and they haven't done that yet. Yeah. Um, but you know, so that that's our take on the issue one through five here. But um, I think more importantly, I think more importantly, I kind of want to get your input. Uh, I almost called you Ian. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I was thinking about Ian and how. Bad That's like the fourth time you've called me Ian. Today. I know. I was just thinking about how bad Superman sucks. That's why. <laughs> um, well, my take on it, I I like it as a grounded medieval story. Um, I definitely see kind of the Game of Thrones influence, but I think it totally works. So, like, that's going to go into... I'm going to have you do your... So, yeah, if we're going to go into, like, this versus other fantasy titles... Yeah, I want want your input, because, I mean, I've really only read Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings, so, like... I mean, I've read, like, other ones like Dragon Riders of Pern and stuff like mm-hmm. that, other fantasy stuff. But, like, since you're kind of like our quote-unquote fantasy fantasy guy, I want to uh, know how it compares with – not, like, compares, but, like, how it relates with, you know, like, Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings or something like that. 
So what I will do, because it is a little tough to compare novels versus comic books yeah. a little bit, and because we only have five issues of it, um, I want to say in general for the fantasy genre, this title does a pretty good job with both character development and world building yep. because you get sneak peeks of other areas of the world, such as, you know, Castle of El, the Kingdom of Storms. Thank you. Kingdom of Storms. And then there's the Feist Village. There's, where's the other one I was looking at? Because there was another one that was cool. The Land of Magus. Land of Magus. Uh, but there's another one. Hold on. It was pretty much the Bloodhaven equivalent. Oh, okay. Uh, no, that's Feist Village. So, yeah. Um, I like the, the world building. Um, how the DC heroes got their, their powers, like Luther being able to become Joker and then Green Lantern. Um, as far as, like, fantasy creatures, we still haven't gotten that, and I honestly don't think we need to see that. Which kind of brings us to more of along the lines of like a more down to earth medieval story, like maybe um, some of Joe Abercrombie's works. And he does um, First Law Trilogy, which I've kind of dabbled in. Yeah. Um, I think with the, the direction they're going in, I think they should probably keep out the creatures and focus more on the human characters. Um, I don't know, it, it kind of stands on its own as far as like a medieval comic because I wouldn't really compare it to Die because Die is more of like a Dungeons and Dragons creature feature mixed with an overall story. And this is more of like a grounded knights versus knights with superpowers type story. Okay. Which kind of doesn't have a comparison. Uh, I don't think I've seen anything like that before. Yeah. But it's, again, done really well. Um, as far as the political stuff, it definitely does go a little bit along the lines of, of Game of Thrones. And I, I actually kind of hope they go into it a little bit deeper to kind of make the story more complex. Now, do you think... So, did you read All of Deceased? I read the first volume. Okay, so what so what Tom Taylor did was he had the first volume and then he had like a, a second like mini series which was like I think only three or four issues. Yeah, like the Unkillables or something. Yeah, like that. and then he did his digital ones and then he had uh, Deceased 2. So do you think maybe he would be able to like branch off and do like kind of like like a four issue mini series? Oh, or heck something? yeah. Yeah. I think. Um... They should do a miniseries on each king kingdom. I think that would be cool. Um, I know you have a lot of Castle L, Castle of L, but um, the Kingdom of Storms, I think, needs its own miniseries because, Ooh. again, I don't know much about that side of the DC Universe either. I don't know about uh, Black Lightning and, and his family and stuff yeah. like that. I would like a, a backstory behind that. I'd also like a, maybe a mini series focused on the Amazonians in that time frame because yeah, of be where they cool. stand in the war and what this war is really about. I know the assassination happens, but 
what caused them to want to do the assassination to begin with. And I, yeah. and I, and I understand that that's probably where this is going, but um, to really dive into what the conflict is in this medieval land would be interesting to see. I'd also like to see maybe if some of this medieval ties into Krypton a little bit too. Okay. Cause I know this story is really folk more gearing towards kryptonite and, and the weakness of the kryptonians yeah i i think there could be a different a lot of different um directions it could go if batman or bruce wayne wasn't a kryptonian you could have gone into like maybe there would be a subdivision of waynes that had the castle of their own that was rivaling the kents at one point yeah. that would be an interesting aspect to go and see but I can I can see this being done with twelve issues and then have a couple maybe one or two mini series. Yeah. Probably focused on again the the kingdom of storms and maybe some of the lesser known kingdoms that are briefly introduced. I think I was thinking about it when we were talking about it. I think one of the cool things would be to see like maybe like a, a medieval suicide squad yeah. kind of thing or even like like your your cup of tea for DC like maybe a, a medieval justice league dark without yeah. i mean obviously without constantine but cuz he's with the kingdom of storms but like even to see something like that that would be kind of cool yeah like have like a suicide squad that's hunting the monst- the medieval monsters in the in that yeah. realm that'd be really interesting now, do, do you think we'll get dragons? Um, I'm trying to figure <laughs> out where it would fit. Like, I obviously with the medieval setting, you definitely could, but yeah. I'm trying to see how it could really fit into the story. Um, yeah, I was kind of thinking about that too, and I was like, eh, maybe not. <laughs> unless the kryptonite is coming from a creature in the world that's mm-hmm. sending it that way. Um, or something to a creature that reverses the effects of kryptonite. Yeah. Because again, the kingdom of storms has the kryptonite. What does the other side have to counteract it? Really nothing right now. Um, I'm trying to think of where dragons could fit in. <laughs> uh I almost said thing bang boom, but I'm like, no, that's Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> I could I could see maybe creatures like Swamp Thing getting involved with the poison ivy aspect of things, yeah. which I've been actually clamoring for for a little while. I'd like to see the dynamic between poison ivy and Swamp Thing because they're basically on the same side. They're just never talked about. Together. They had a really good uh, part in the uh, the Snyder run of Swamp Thing. Mm, I have to. During the whole, during the whole um, uh, Swamp Thing Animal Man crossover, they had a really good, really like really good like dynamic. Because mm. Jeff Lemire's Animal Man is, just I have to phenomenal. get that omnibus. I know it's kind of OP right now, but oh, it's so good. Um, yeah, I, in the direction that this is going in. I don't know. I mean, obviously, you're going to get probably... I think there's going to be a few more... Uh, a, a few more... Um, 
can't think of the word. Assassinations? No, uh, twists. Twists, yeah. I'm going to say... Almost like Game of Thrones. <laughs> don't get attached to a character. Yeah, don't if, get if attached to a character. If they actually leave, Bruce, like, if they actually kill off Bruce Wayne, I, that'll I'd be just prove it. really surprised, but... I want to vote for Lois Lane killing Superman. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I definitely think something's going to happen to Superman. I just or Wonder Woman. I want yeah. Wonder Woman or or um, Lois to kill Superman. That's my vote. Yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty good. I really want to see how really the Kingdom of Storms really plays into all of this because it sounds like it's turning into a su- evil Superman just defying everybody at this point. Oh, man. Not like we've heard that before. Because he's only got so many tropes that he can explore, Ian. <laughs> but yeah, so that's our um, that's our input on Dark Knights of Steel. If you like Game of Thrones and you like some superhero medieval stuff, yeah. If you like fantasy, then check it out uh, by Tom Taylor, Yasmin Putri, published by DC Comics. And that is our Morbius and Dark Knights of Steel episode, which is an odd assortment of things because yeah, <laughs> we, we had to watch the taste of Morbius uh, out of our mouths. Yeah, that's that's our interesting combination, I think. Yeah, but uh, this is Eric and Ray, and I don't think we have a quote for this episode. Mm, no, read Dark Knights of Steel. Yeah, take care, guys.